So today's message, we are on our uh, sixth week, and, and it's transformation. So transformation, um, it, it, it's this idea, too, that, that uh, again, that as we build on these things, we're, we're looking um, at, at the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the reality of the gospel going in, um, beginning to change us, moving into a place from, from just being um, those who have received Jesus, but into those who are being changed through discipleship and being transformed and brought into the very image of Christ. You know, this is what God is about. Transformation really is the message of the Bible. It's about, it's about being new. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it's this picture, and we want to start by, by some some, some right theology here. Let, let's, let's understand this, that, that when we are in Christ, when we have, when we have uh, believed on Jesus, when we have become a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes and it indwells us, and that it opens us up, that spiritually we are born again, we are reborn, we are a new creation. And positionally, before God, you're perfect. Your, your sins are forgiven. You've been imputed the righteousness of Christ. And when God looks upon you and looks upon your life, he sees Jesus. And so positionally, positionally in our relationship before God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us, we are positionally perfect before God. But here on this earth, as we're, as we're walking this out, God wants to bring change into our lives. He wants us actually to become a people who visibly express and demonstrate the reality of his life-changing power in our own lives. And when we do this, we bring glory to God. We make God famous in the world around us. We actually begin to point people um, in his directions just simply through our actions. What, what we wanna do is we wanna become people who are so much conformed to the image of Jesus that the world around us says, wow, what do you have? What's different about you? Something is different. You have something that I don't have. And this is the kind of character that God is wanting to develop in us. And guess what? God, God's change, it doesn't happen from the outside in. We're a people who are always trying to change and live differently from the outside in, thinking that if I just do this or if I, if I do that, if I, if I become or if I just act better, that then I'm gonna be a better Christian. You know, Jesus really didn't come to just make us better people. What he really came to do was to live in and through us, that we would become so much a devoted devout follower of Jesus that his life would begin to live through us. In other words, we wouldn't just be people who are on purpose out there trying to just be good. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter eight, it tells us that our flesh can never be disciplined. So in other words, if we're kind of living out of ourself, if we're living out of our own power, if we're living out of our own abilities, and we're just out there trying to be good people, then in a way we're trying to discipline our flesh. The Bible says that your flesh can't be disciplined. It can't be brought into discipline. The answer and what God is actually calling us to is to begin to live spiritually, to begin to live towards the spirit versus the flesh and allow God and his transformative power to begin to really have influence and change and power in our lives to move us. Here's the bad news, okay, ready? Everybody ready? Sitting down. 
God is more interested in changing you than he is your comfort. Dang it. <laughs> See, we want God to be interested in our comfort. We want, we want God to, to take away the pressures, to, to, to take away the, the struggles that we're having in our lives. We want God to just, just come in and just, just do this thing, take me out of this or take these people away or get rid of them or do this or change. And, and God is like, I actually, what I'm really interested in is changing you in the middle of your circumstances. He's about giving us a different perspective as we approach this world. He's about transforming our minds, our perspective, and our habits. Not just being better, but being truly transformed by the Spirit. You see, if, if, if God was only about external things, and all we ever have is that we are a people who are constrained by external circumstances or constraints or walls or prisons or whatever you want to say, then as soon as those things are gone, we, we don't really have the heart to carry forward, to move forward in it. What God really wants to do is to have his will become our will, that we would begin to conform our will to what his will is so that the things that he begins to tell us, the freedom that he wants us to live into is our deepest desire to have that and express that. The, the problem with what we're going to talk about today is it, it really kind of presses really hard on two things. One is the things that we don't want to change. The reality of you and me is that there are things in our lives that we probably know don't bless us. We probably know they need to go. They pro we probably know we need to do business with God and with other people on these issues or whatever, and we just don't want to. And then the other thing is that some of these things are very painful to deal with. Some of these things are very much a struggle to go back in and touch these things um, is, is, is not a pleasant nor an easy thing, and we never want to minimize that as we kind of look at this. This, I love, um, I've preached it before, but this is crucial. This is something that Jesus did. When Jesus entered his ministry, he, he stood up in the synagogue. When he very first began it, he got the scroll of Isaiah out. He rolled it out. He went to this very spot right here, and he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. That's the gospel. Jesus is saying, I've come to bring this good news. And remember that gospel, was a, was, it means good news. And when a new king or somebody came into power, they would send out their gospel out into all of the land and they would tell the people that your life is different. It's changed forever because now a new king has taken over. So, the, so Jesus, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus, he says that he has come to deliver this good news to who? To the poor. Why just the poor? Well, until we have a recognition of the reality of our need, then we'll just be in denial about our stuff. As long as we don't really get the idea that we need change, that we need to be transformed, that there's brokenness, that there's hurt, that there's sin inside of us that is impeding both our relationships with one another as well as with God, that it's, it's in the way, it's keeping us from really living out what God, the abundant life that God would have us to live. Until we recognize our spiritual poverty, we don't have any need for something outside of ourselves. So he's come and he says that this message is for those who are poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to take those, to, to begin to take our brokenness and to begin to, to bandage it, to bind it up, to, to, to help it. And I want you to hear just the tenderness of him in this, you know, to proclaim liberty to who? To captives, to those who are held captive by things, by our thoughts, by our sin, by somebody else's sin, by what's been spoke over us. What is it that holds us captive, that holds us back? Jesus says he's come, and he's came, come to proclaim liberty or freedom to those captives. The opening of the prison to those who are bound, to those who, who have no ability, who are just stuck in a prison and they can't get out. He's come to bring freedom, to open those doors. See, Jesus didn't come to set us free out of a prison so that we would be free on the inside of it, he's like, hey, check the door. It's unlocked, right? I'm inviting you out. I'm inviting you out of the prison that you've been living into and, and into the freedom that I've purchased for you to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those in, who, who mourn in Zion. And then listen to this. He's saying, I'm gonna take your stuff. I'm gonna take your circumstances. I'm gonna take your struggles. I'm gonna take your pain and I'm gonna recreate it into something else to give you a beautiful garland or a headdress instead of ashes. In other words, paraphrase, tries paraphrase, is where you had aspects or areas or parts of your life and you just burned it to the ground. Guess what? God's saying, I'm gonna take those ashes and I'm gonna actually make a beautiful crown for your head out of those things. Where, where I'm gonna take what you couldn't undo and I'm standing ready to redo it into something. Not just something that, that will just, something that could be on display for everyone to see. The idea of the head and in Eastern culture, it's the highest place. And what he's saying is I'll take these ashes of your life and I'll recreate it into something beautiful. I'll take your pain, I'll take your brokenness, I'll take your hurt, I'll take your sin and I'll actually make a useful tool out of it that you can use to tell other people, to help other people, to identify with other people, to help to bring and to be a part of this thing that God wants to do in this world. And then so he says, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And then listen to this, that they might be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. You see, what, what, what God is saying is that I've come not just to save you, but to deliver you into something different, to deliver you into this abundant life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. 10. He says that he's come, that we might have life, and not just basically just life, but an abundant life, a meaningful life, a purposeful life, something that is just so much more than what we can even imagine. You see, God wants to heal us up so that he can use us. See, too many times we stop at this place of salvation. We don't enter into that discipleship program. We don't enter into the process of transformation. I don't know about you, but what I've kept trying to do on a lot of levels is I keep trying to walk around it. And every time I try to walk around it, I find myself facing it again and facing it again and facing it again. It's because God wants to incrementally work this healing and this wholeness and this freedom into our lives. And, and it's kind of this process where if we don't enter into it, if we don't, if we don't take step one, 
we don't get to go to step two. And if we don't take step two, we don't get to move into step three because they're, they're just, they're crucial. We have, to, we have to deal with these things. We have to look into the reality of our lives and we have to allow God to begin to do this work so that we might be the people that glorify him, that we might be the people that reach out into our community and the world around us with wholeness, ministering out of a place of experiencing brokenness and healing and offering that back again to other people. It starts with the gospel. And, and, and this is so crucial, and I don't know where you might sit here today, but I just wanna tell you that the Bible's really clear that unless you've received God's plan of salvation through Jesus, his death, his life, his death on the cross, that, that you can't really get into this because it's crucial. You see, because in Corinthians 2.14, it tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, until we have a relationship with God, we're spiritually dead and separated from him because of sin. Until that sin issue is resolved and, and we're right with God or we have peace once again with God, we're separated from him. The things of the Bible don't really make sense. I don't know about you, but I totally can relate to this. Before I was a believer, I used to look at the Bible and I would look, especially at the Old Testament, and I would just be like, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. What shall thou do? <laughs> I don't know. All I see is you don't do anything. God, it looks like he's killing everybody to me. I don't know. I don't get this, right? But you want to know what I look at today? When I see God's plan, when I see all those, don't do it, you shall not, thou shalt not, what I see now is, is don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't lose your freedom, Stay free because I've come to understand that freedom isn't doing the thing that I want to do. Freedom is doing the thing that keeps me out of bondage. And because I don't really know what that looks like, my dependence is on God that he'll tell me and that he'll direct me, that he'll direct my paths into righteousness. But that begins with the gospel. It begins with this idea of this, this relationship with God. And until we have that settled, we're dead and separated and God does not speak to the flesh. In other words, you're just living as a fleshly human, not a spiritually alive human. God doesn't speak to the flesh. He's told the flesh that it needs to die, and the way that it dies is through his plan of salvation. And then he says, Jesus tells us, you, you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That there's a, there's a necessity for a spiritual birth. Again, we've got to look at life and death on God's terms. If you look in the book of Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, don't do this or you'll die but they did not die a physical death. They died a spiritual death, they died a separation. They separated themselves and rebelled against the author of life and then experienced the consequences, the brokenness, and we still do of what that is. And so God's plan is that he would, is that we would enter into this thing and that he would make us spiritually once again alive. Romans 12, 2 says this, how do we do this? How do we start to practically apply this idea of transformation? It says this, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you wanna know the will of God? We always want, what's God's will for my life? I don't know, what does God want for me? What should I do? Should I go, I just don't know. Well, we have to begin 
by, by renewing our minds, by recognizing the reality that we've all believed deceptions, we've all believed lies. There have been things spoken over us that weren't true. There's been, there's been things that we've believed about ourselves that aren't true. Our sin has spilled over into our lives. Other people's sin has spilled over into our lives. And the answer for this is by beginning to recognize that there's a battlefield in my mind. And what I need to do is I need to replace the lies and the deceptions that are in my mind with the truth of what God says about me. See, if you believe something in contradiction to what God says about you, you're fundamentally believing something that's not true. And if you're believing something that's not true, it's affecting your actions because all actions come from belief. We all act on what we believe. Therefore, what we believe is so crucially important. Your identity, who you are, what, who, what does God say you are? Who does he say you are? And what does he say life is about? These are the things that we have to begin to challenge and we have to renew our mind. There's a, it's just a battlefield right here within our mind. As a matter of fact, the reality of you and me inside of our mind is the person that you have the most conversation with in your life is you, right? You have the most conversation with yourself. What do you tell yourself? What do you tell yourself about you? What kind of things, how do you identify yourself and how do you identify your relationship to God? How do you see God and his character and his nature in your life? You see, the reality is, is that we need um, this change. And look at that, it's kind of got this coal diamond kind of a thing and we all know how diamonds are made, right? Pressure. Again, we went out of the pressure, we went out of the frying pan, but God is doing a work in the midst of this struggle. Colossians 3, 9 through 10, it says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You see, it's, 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 this, it's this picture of, are we really putting on the new self? See, Jesus has proclaimed it, and if we've accepted him into our lives and his plan of salvation, then you're a new creation. Again, it's settled before God. Our relationship is, it, it, there, there's nothing contested about it. So, so the way that we're living our lives isn't to please God. It's not to appease God. It's not to try to be good or work off our old stuff. It's not to impress other people. It really needs to come from a sincere relationship to our creator and a right understanding of who we are and why we're here. And when we really enter into that, then things like our own works and our own nature and our behavior begin to get just purer. They just get better. Because the reality of me is that in my flesh, my good works are only an extension of my selfishness. That's all they are. They're just a way to look good in front of everybody else. And we're all in a battle with this. We're all struggling with this stuff. But our answer, again, our hope is always in him. See, God isn't asking you to just be better. He's asking you to surrender better. He's asking us to begin not just to, to, to surrender and, and to live this out, to really live it out in obedience. Because if we're not walking this out, then we're just fooling ourselves. Remember, how James told us this. Galatians 5, and 23, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 
and against such things there is no law. There's no law against those things because there doesn't need to be a law against those things. Those things don't produce anything that is in contradiction to what God would have us to do or be. But I want us to just understand that this isn't an event. This is a process. This process of transformation is one that the Bible talks about as sanctification, that God is slowly and incrementally working in your life to change you to make you different, to, to bring and allow even sometimes different circumstances into our lives so that we might look and we might actually deal with some of these things and some of these issues sometimes that God is trying to bring to our forefront. Sometimes the best place to see it is to look backwards in your life, right? Is sometimes when we look backwards, it's just easier to see where we've come from. And hopefully, we're able to look back in our lives a little ways and just say, you know what? It's so much different than it was. Um, I can tell you that I'm so much a different guy than I was 20 years ago before I knew Jesus. Back in BC, I was a very different guy, living for very different things, doing stuff that wasn't really okay but Jesus changed me in that. And so today, I'm not perfect. I haven't got this figured out. I'm not, just, I'm not just running this perfect race in this perfect straight line. No, I'm, God is working on, in my life just like he's working in your life. And, and, and each and every one of us, hopefully, what we're doing is that we're entering into that process. We're allowing God to do in our lives what he wants to do. That we're not walling things off. That we're not just saying no to him. If you're saying no to him, stop. These things that we just want to have or that we just want to do, our pet sin, we really got to get rid of that. We got to throw that thing away. It's got to go because it's not blessing us. It's not, it's not really having the effect that we think it is. We're, we're relying on something in a way that God would never have us do. But this is a process and a seed, a seed starts by just getting put in the ground. And the interesting thing about a seed is that you don't see anything for quite a while. As a matter of fact, Everything that's going on in a seed is going on below ground level, below what you can see. The first thing it does is it lays down a set of roots, and this is what God is doing in our lives. He's laying down in your life. If you're in Christ, he's, he's first gonna lay down some roots into your life, and then eventually, whoop, we see a little thing, but we don't see the end product, right? What we see is a process. And so God gives us this idea of planting and reaping and harvesting and all of these things so that we can recognize, we can relate this back to our lives and we can understand better some of this stuff that, that of transformation and what it looks like to actually be changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I've got good news. If you're in Christ, he is at work in your life. And we can be grateful for that. We can be so thankful. We can have joy in this of knowing that he is the one who's faithful. So even if you're not fully vested into his program, he's still at work. He's still working to bring change into our lives. He still is at work to do that. And even the better news here is this, Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, one day, and I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but one day, the Bible promises that we will actually live in a place and, and have an experience within ourselves where sin is gone, where we've been brought to a place where, where, where God is going to deliver us and Jesus is going to basically bring us into a place of perfection. I can't even understand or, or, or grasp in my mind what that's going to be like, but I can't wait because that's going to be an amazing day. But you see, this is a promise. So if you're frustrated with yourself or, or you're struggling, you're like, gosh, how come I keep ending up in the same place? How come I keep, uh, how come I keep in this same place? I, you know, I, I, I want you to think about Paul, and I want you to think about his life a little bit here. And I want you to, to sometimes, you know, cut yourself a little bit of slack and, and, and maybe look back in chapter seven of, 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 of Romans and, and listen to Paul and his words. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, Paul understood this battle, this struggle. A lot of people will say, well, Paul, Paul was talking about his former life before, back in BC, back before Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about. But I want to just point out that every verb in there is in the present tense. Paul is saying, this is an ongoing struggle in my life. Even though I want to do the right thing, I don't always do it. Sometimes I do the very thing that I'm trying to not do. But Paul goes on to tell us what the answer is. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he tells us right here, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So how do we practically begin to apply this? We practically begin to apply this by becoming more spiritual people, by beginning to, to, to recognize that this isn't, this isn't an event, um, it's, it, it, it's not a moment, but, but this is the very lens that I live my life through, that, that God's word is, is, is the thing that renews my mind, and it's the thing that sets me on a course of freedom. It's the thing that delivers me. It's the thing that changes me. And so this has to become just an integral part of our lives, our daily life. We have to start by going and getting some of this each and every day because, uh, and, and for me, I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I got to start in the morning because if I don't start in the morning, I'll have more to have to ask forgiveness for by the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if I start my day, it just sets my course for my day. I would always encourage you to get with God every day. But see, it's not just that either. It's not just that event. It's, it's, it's are we really just allowing God and his word to be the lens by which we look at our life through? It, does it become our directive for everything and what I do and where I go and why I go and how I go and, and, and what my intentions are, what my motives are? All of these different things, really, I need to just kind of check with God and see what that all looks like. You see, Jesus is about transforming lives. And what an amazing thing. You ever think about this? Do you know Jesus changed the whole world? Literally. I mean literally. The world has not been the same. One guy, and, and just in this obscure place next to this little sea, he had this ministry that should have faded into obscurity, but it ended up changing the whole globe. 
It's changed everything about the world. It's changed, it's changed the whole thing and everything about these interactions that we see in Jesus's life are really about life change. You see, he started with a young virgin and her reluctant husband, right? And then I'm looking and I'm thinking, there was a guy that was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus told, he, there were just crowds of people following him. He told his disciples, he's like, get in the boat. We're going across the sea because there's one guy over there and they call him the demoniac because he just lives in the graveyard and he cuts himself with stones and he howls and he's just crazed. And Jesus is like, that guy, he needs set free from that prison. And so, so we're leaving all these crowds and we're going over there because there's one guy and he needs us to go. And he went and he absolutely, Jack guy came and threw himself at Jesus's feet and Jesus delivered him from these demons and then sent this guy into a place called the Decapolis or the 10 cities to, to glorify, to, to testify about him and, and, and what he had done in his life. There was, a, there was a blind guy named Bartimaeus who every day went to the edge of the road with his tin cup and asked people if they'd put something in his tin cup. And one day he heard that Jesus was coming by and he began to holler out and cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, 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 and everybody around him, all of the followers of Jesus were like, shut up. Shh, hush, man, you're bothering Jesus. Shh. And Jesus was like, whoa, wait a minute. Bring him to me. And he asked him a funny question. He said, what do you want me to do for you? I find that really ironic, you know, because if it was me and I was Jesus and they brought a blind guy to me, I would have been like, hey, watch everybody, watch me heal this blind dude, bam. <laughs> Woo, right? <laughs> That's what I would have done, but not Jesus. Jesus is like, what do you want me to do for you? Because you know, in reality, in this guy's will or in his life or in his perspective, he might've been like, you know what, man, my finger is so sore from holding this cup can you fix my finger so I can keep holding my cup? You see, Jesus always does us the dignity of maintaining our free will. That's why he doesn't just come in and fix you where you won't let him come in and fix you. It's why if you, if you build a wall and you put up a big door, he'll respect that because he's a respecter of our free will. But you see, we really need to let him in. And we need to recognize, just like Bartimaeus did, Bartimaeus said, I wanna see I recognize the reality of my blindness and I want to see, but I, I think it's just so profound that Jesus would say, what do you want me to do for you? Because it was obvious to everybody else around. And sometimes that's how our problems are, right? It's obvious to everybody around. It's leaking out on everybody around us, but we're blind to it. This is why God's process for bringing this healing is always going to include other people. It's going to include other believers. It's, gonna, it's why we do church is because we need each other. We need a community of people sold out for the same purpose so that we can look into each other's lives. That's why it's important that we, we let people into our lives. That's why we don't isolate is because God is gonna use people in this recipe of transformation. There was a woman at a well who was avoiding everybody. She wasn't going there, she went there at noon. And I think she went there at noon because she knew nobody else would be there. 
And she'd had five husbands, and I don't know why she'd had five husbands, but I'm sure she was seen as some kind of a curse to the rest of the people. And, and Jesus met with her, and he told her, hey, I've got water that if you drink of this, with the, he just basically told her, he said, you know what? That well you've been drinking out of, it's the wrong well. It's just gonna leave you thirsty. You, you're drinking out of the wrong well. You're trying to find satisfaction and, 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 and um, you, you're trying to, to get your thirst quenched, but you're drinking out of the wrong well. It'll never do it. Those relationships that you've been trying to make define you and give you purpose and meaning or whatever, they, it's not gonna do it. But I have water that if you drink it, you'll never ever thirst again. And so she said, well, all right, give me some of that water. And he was like, well, go get your husband. See, and this is another problem with Jesus is that as soon as you say yes to him, he starts getting in your business. <laughs> he's like, okay, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. Honesty, he always rewards honesty. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna hold it. Honesty is the pathway to transformation and healing. It's not until we're willing to get honest that we really enter into a place of reality and that's where God's healing is, is in reality because he's the God of reality. So anyway, she took that deal and you know what? She went right back to those people that she was hiding from and she went and witnessed to them and they all came running down to Jesus. It's an amazing thing. There was a woman with an issue of blood and a guy named Jairus who was trying to get Jesus to his dying daughter. And she got in the way by sneaking up behind Jesus and touching his robe. And you see, Jesus is working in both of these people's lives. He's the ultimate multitasker. He's at work over here. At the same time, he's working in, he's working in this woman's life and he's also working in Jairus's life. He changed Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' life in a big way, right? He gave Lazarus, he rose him from the dead. But it's an interesting thing with Mary and Martha. They sent for him and they said, our brother's dying. And it says, because he loved them, he waited days more before he went. And their brother died. And you see, Again, we want out of the circumstance, we want out of the struggle, but God is doing something in the struggle and we've gotta hold on to his goodness and that he knows this bigger, this bigger picture, this upper story that he's writing way better than we do. He changed a Roman centurion's life, a Roman soldier at the cross, a thief on the cross next to him, a Pharisee named Nicodemus that came at night for a visit. He turned Simon into Peter, and Saul into Paul. He took 11 guys that were afraid for their lives and he transformed them into world changers, right? And I know that in this place right now, we could tell story after story after story of what God has done in our lives. And we could look back and we could even say, I never saw it over here. I never understood it at this point, but now I see that God was at work and he was doing a great work in my life. So the question becomes, is, is how entered into this process of transformation are we? Are you going it alone? Are you, are, you, are you walled off? Or have you opened yourself up 
to the processes and the means by which God wants to bring healing into our lives? Have you really dug in and have we, have we, have we begun to do the business that we need to do with bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, bigotry? We got all kinds of stuff. We've got all kinds of struggles, and, I, and, and, and we're all in process of those things, and, 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 and we all know that, you know, there are, there are probably relationships in all of our lives in which we need, to, we need to find forgiveness. We need to work this out. We need to do business with God and with other people, but many times we just kind of don't really want to. Jesus took doubting brothers, James and Jude, and he turned them into powerful church leaders, Countless lives for the past 2,000 years, mine and yours. John 10.10 says that, that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that takes all kinds of forms. It can even look like some good things. But at the end of the day, the ways of the enemy always steal, they always kill, and they always destroy. But Jesus says that he's come, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorite verses, and it says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now lead in the flesh, I lead in faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me because he loved me. And so that's really the answer. The answer really is this idea that it wouldn't be Tri who lives, that the life that Tri lives, he lives in Christ, crucified with Christ, alive with Christ, but certainly with him, no less. And you see, the reality of this thing is next week, we're getting on to community. And if we wanna create a community that anybody really would wanna be a part of, that really requires that we all change individually. Because we don't wanna all bring our mess into our community, right? our unfinished business, our stuff, if we want to have a community that's actually functional, then there's a real responsibility to us individually to uh, seek the healing, the hope, the change, the transformation that God is calling each of us to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. We thank you that, Jesus, that you came, that we might have new life, that you've created and you've done something new in each and every one of us. And, and that, again, we are grateful that positionally we are perfect, that the things that we do or, 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 or the way that we operate isn't about trying to appease you or please you. You're pleased. And our position before you is perfect. We, we, we don't need... Um, to, uh, to impress you or to impress other people or believers or the church. We just need to, uh, we just need to follow closer. We just need to, to really live this out. We need our lives to be an expression of your life. We want our lives to glorify you, to bring honor and glory to you, that, that you might be made famous in our community, that others might see the good works that we do and that they might give glory to you, Father, in heaven, because we belong to you. May, may we truly be the people and the church that people would say, what do they have? And we could just tell them, hey, it's nothing about us. It's all about God. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, we just pray that each and every one of us, we just recognize 
We won't minimize at all the realities of the struggles that we're in, the pain, the hardship, the struggles, the things that we've done, the things that we should have done, the things that were done to us, Lord, they're real. And those things have, have impacted us. So Lord, we just ask your truth to permeate us and your healing to be all through us. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.